Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Hey, this is Derwin from the Derwin Lester Show, and with me today is a good friend, Max. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm swell. How are you? Doing great, man. And today I want to talk about how you were a professional actor once upon a time, a theater instructor, a playwright. So where did you begin your passion for acting? So my theater interest started in earnest in high school. Uh, I was very head over heels in love with a girl who was the daughter of a local theater professor. And so she did plays and stuff all the time. And at the time, I, I didn't do any of that stuff. Uh, I was a wrestler. I was intent to attempt high school wrestling and all that came with it. But she was like, I'm going to go out for the musical. And this was like literally the start of high school. And we, we weren't dating. We never dated. But I was just very, you know, me cute in love with her. And I was like, well, I want to wrestle, but I want to spend time with her. And I, I'm deathly afraid of singing in public uh, from a previous event in my life. But uh, okay. So tone deaf, 15-year-old Max um, auditioned for Oklahoma and in Kirksville, Missouri at the time. They cast everyone because they needed men for these productions. And so it didn't matter that I couldn't sing and didn't have any experience. They cast me. And they cast every man who applied, uh, auditioned. And it was a very long rehearsal process. And it was, I would be not applying my current lens to it, but I was struck by the camaraderie I built with people in the chorus. I was just a chorus part. I did not have a, a substantial part. I met a lot of people I never would have met before necessarily. Not that my school was big, but just like being a part of it. And For yeah, seven. yeah. And I was the only freshman guy yeah. in it because I was the only freshman male who even thought about going up for it. And I remember very vividly um, opening night. Uh, the first number that I do any dancing and like choral singing on was Everything's Up to Date in Kansas City. Uh, and I did it and we hit sort of like that good old fashioned musical theater, like pause so that there's applause. And it's a very vivid memory where like, I remember being blinded by light. Uh, well, no, that's not a bad thing. Just, you know, being under stage lights, they're very oh. bright. Yeah. So I'm looking like I am looking out towards the audience. Can't quite see them because the light, um, and being paused and just hearing the roar of a crowd mm -hmm. and it's a drug yeah <laughs> and and uh and, and and i'm the i'm you know i'm a i'm the descendant of addicts so like it's like oh <laughs> look that feels uh, good. That felt good. <laughs> yeah no there was there was there was a moment of just like yes yes power um uh good feeling yeah and the production wrapped and there was no other production that was general audition for the rest of the school year and so i wept i wept when it was over i wept at the cast party because it's like am I, am I ever going to see these people again when am i when am i going to do this again and it was like at that moment uh that i was just like i i have to i have to keep doing this i i have to i want to be do more of this i have to do everything to get better so i ended up joining choir and learning how to sing and it became my 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 reason for being from that point forward like like yeah. any any sort of semblance of like thinking about college was like i'm gonna go study theater like because yeah. that's what this is what i have to do is it, it, it's it's i have to keep doing this thing because i'm i am now like obsessed 
I went to uh, I went to my local uh, down the street, Sherman State University. It's a liberal arts college. Uh, it's like a public Wabash or uh, DePaul. It's, it's, it's a really great school. Uh, it has a very small theater department. Um, it, it is it, it, it trains generalists. It, it trains. Yeah. So it was a bachelor's of arts in theater. So it's not like a BFA program where like you're only acting or you're only doing technical theater. Um, the sort of pedagogy behind it is you you you're going to be a rounded artist and be a human being. So like you will learn every aspect of theater. So cool. every everyone takes costume design and spends 40 hours a semester uh, for that semester, like building costumes. Everyone spends a semester building, like doing the the strike and the build for scenery. Everyone gets to take lighting. Like every, everyone, everyone has to take acting, like acting one. Everyone has to take theater history. Um, yeah, and it was, I, I, despite the fact that, you know, I, I went to my local, which is not what I wanted to do. I wanted to get out of my hometown as soon as I could. Um, it was so, uh, yeah, edifying. You got this broad perspective. You, you you walked in there, and here's this generalist thing. And so, but you still stuck with the acting. You still stuck with. Was there anything? If you could be an actor, were there any sort of like aspects, directions that really spoke to you more? Like, yeah, at the time, um, it was actually um, being a historian. Really? So yeah, no. So well, a theater historian, like a like a, a scholar. Um, like an like an, ac- an academic, um, yeah. Like the other thing that like kind of went hand in hand was like I always loved school. Yeah. School is a safe place, and so college, after some rigmarole like that, that felt good and right. Um, and I had a very um, impactful mentor my my first year of undergraduate, Todd Coulter, and he was a younger professor. He was only at Truman for like two or three years before he went on to go do other things. Uh, now he's actually getting his JD in New York. Uh, fun fact. Uh, yeah, he's done a ton of different stuff. Um, but he he rejected sort of the binary of you have to do one thing or only be good at one thing. Uh, but he had his he had his doctorate in theater, theater history, literature, and criticism. And so I loved reading plays and I loved like going deep into historical research and materialist uh, in how theater is sort of this um, record and lens, like record and lens and sort of artifact into moments in history. Like, I like uh, that. Shakespeare yeah, I mean, is a good reflection of 500 years ago. I, it, well, I mean, Shakespeare is inher- like any, any play and its script yeah. are inherently um, Bound, it's or in its in its origin is bound by the material and and philosophical lenses of its time. So you can learn a lot about the time uh, in in researching how it was produced and things like that. So like, I don't know. I think about the fact that like it does. It's it is a silly thing to look like we learn a lot about Greece from its the Greek plays, but we can learn more if we think about it through the lens of like this was written as part of a religious tradition. Um, and festival that was entirely set to music outside uh, for you to like look at like the sky if you're bored like yeah. like they, they they the like learning about dimmable lighting uh, and the advancements in like light bulb technology and how that impacts how we experience the theater experience now like we dim the lights and all that stuff and we have to be very quiet and serious like no fuck that that wasn't part of the theater life or public life and i mean that influences cinema where we we, we sit in a the movie theater and we're, we shut the fuck up and we we sit next to, to evan kelly and he explains everything to us <laughs> but like that experience doesn't happen if lights aren't dimmable but uh yeah that was that was another thing i loved i loved um I love knowing how more about theater. So like that actually impacted sort of uh, a wonky trajectory. So at the same same time, I'm like training to be an actor. I'm also like applying to graduate schools. Like, and I'm a first generation college student. So like, I have no one, like my parents didn't really help yeah. me or help me figure it out. But I was in a, a program that is a subsidiary of uh, the TRIO programs. Are you familiar with TRIO under the Department of Education? 
I am not, but more to the generalist aspect of your upbringing. If I remember correctly, uh, the thespian philosopher Nick Offerman started out just woodworking, right? Like he was just the guy in his sort of high school, college days that would build the sets of the theater. And then they realized, oh, we need a guy to be like kind of manly and gruff. And so that his generalist perspective kind of led it to a, uh, a thing. A, a little bit. Um, it was he couldn't get cast and shit. So oh. he built the sets. <laughs> oh, okay. There it is. <laughs> when he started. When he okay. started, he couldn't get cast and shit. Uh, and so that's, that's, and then he called it obviously like woodworking and uh, his sort of Wendell Berry influenced perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, his books are great. I love, I loved reading about his sort of journey. Yeah, um, I could just listen to him talk all day. It's true. It's really good. Yeah. Um, I applied to graduate school uh, through, yeah. through a trio program. So they helped me apply and pay for my graduate applications. I go to the University of Kentucky for a year and have this weird experience where like I don't get to work on productions I don't get to act I am just in a library banging it out learned a lot like I graduate from Truman State with my bachelor's uh, I'm gonna go I want to be like Todd so like I'm gonna yeah. go get my go try and get my PhD and I go to University of Kentucky it's a at the time a shit show program and they try to can they, they work hard to can the person I came there to work with for petty reasons that I don't understand to this day. Right, right, right. Like and in graduate school it's about those intimate mentorships and like, oh, the program that brought me in, you're trying to get rid of the person I came there to work with. And it's not because like they're an awful person and they sexually harass people. No, it's just you just don't like her. Um, yeah. and like that's like uh, I can't so I only stayed there a year but the other I as a result of being there though uh, I you, you, I had I was on fellowship which means I don't have to teach I don't have to like do a job like I'm getting paid peanuts like I, I am like I have a scholarship uh, tuition but like I am getting paid peanuts to live and just go to school uh, but I met Herman Farrell III who is a playwright at University of Kentucky. He's an amazing guy. He's awesome. Um, and I took his playwriting class. And it was uh, this moment where I love performing, but it was also this moment where, like, I often felt, like, frustrated that uh, as a performer, I felt very limited in certain respects, and I couldn't get to certain things I wanted in my craft, and I didn't know how. Also. Um, like I like I'm a, I'm an okay like performer and I'm charming and I'm charismatic but like I couldn't make the kind of transformations I wanted to or I couldn't always get cast in the roles I wanted to and it's what were you, you getting know, cast in? I was I was often like the villain. Really? Yeah, I play like I play villains a lot. Maybe I just know you as like this family man father. Yeah, like dude. you. I mean, but it, it, it's it's the funny thing about casting is that it's one thing to know the person. It is another thing to put them through the lens of audience. Like, and I become quickly hateable. Uh, really? <laughs> it, I, I mean, like, I haven't acted in a play in eons, but, like, no, like, I, I think it, like, I played a lot of Shakespeare. Like, every Shakespeare play I've been in, I've been That's the I've been, When I've been people the hear me talk, they start hating me really fast. Or it's like, it's it's just like, oh, I, I, I don't, I'm just trying to think of it, like, I'm trying to think of, like, a good example. Well, let me ask you this, sir. So, you've known me for a couple of years now. But, yeah. like, if you didn't know me, you took one look at me, how would you cast me just kind of as my general persona? Well, I mean, like, it's... You would probably... You'd probably play character parts. I mean, it's it's the unfortunate thing of, like, the... The abusive practices of the industry is that we're, people are deeply uncreative about how they cast people. Um, yeah. So, like, you'd probably be, like, in... You know, you might be, like... You might be the lead in, like, you could play a Willie Loman. You could play certain sort of, like, male lead characters. But it's because you're not the, like, you, no one, like, because of the, the body fetalization shit of the industry, like, no one's going to cast you as the ingenue, like, at this time. Maybe maybe people will grow the fuck up and do it. Um, 
Yeah, I think you'd, you'd be a great Iago if we're thinking. I, uh, I, I have a saying. I, I don't try to be Chris Hemsworth. I just try to not be Chris Farley. That's fair. Kind of a, a nice middle ground in both Chris's. Right. Um, well, if whatever reason, like, when I'm on stage, something about how I perform as, like, with a script, yeah. I have villain energy. Nice. Uh, and I have, like, I have Biff Tannen energy. And I think, <laughs> they, like, and I, it, it's, it's, I, I hated it at the time, but I've accepted it now. And that's, that's fine. I don't care. Um, but in playwriting, it was this moment of, like, I can finally be all the characters I want to be. If that you I wrote the script. Well, yes. So, like, and realizing that, like, oh, I've been doing this, like, forever in these chat rooms and in tabletop role-playing games and like it was this funny marriage of like the like I see at that point it would have been 2012 so that would have been like the last 10 years of my life plus just like coalescing for in in this moment while I'm in graduate school thinking like I'm gonna go be a professor and all this shit uh and then realizing like I am set like very well set to have the tools to write plays. Um, I mean, with I say with the confidence of a of a white man um, who will get more opportunities than others. Um, but no, like I think it it was very liberating because it's like I can I can do anything. I can be anyone here. Yeah. Like This there is there's no limits. Like yeah. I can I can I can play a woman. I can I can play an old person, a younger person. I can like I can do anything. Sure. And that was very liberating. And as I was working to transfer to Ohio State, Herman was like, hey, I understand you're in this program. That's great. Cool. Good luck on your MA in theater history. But you're a playwright. Nice. So don't don't forget that. Like, you are a player. Like, he said it very explicitly. Like, you're a playwright. And so my artistic identity was being shifted by there. All right. So there's like, so there's Max, uh, Max the performer actor. There is yeah. Matt, Max the historian-ish. There's Max the playwright. Um, all within the paradigm of theater. And then there's the last spoke of this wheel that I forgot is actually, since we're now, I guess we're out of chronological order. And I think this actually works out nicely because it segues into everything. It's it's the anchor point for my career, my job. Yeah. Um, is Max the theater educator? Sure. In 2009, while an undergraduate, I got uh, in internship with the Kentucky Shakespeare Festival. It's based out of Louisville. It's a free uh, to the public performance art festival. It's every year. It's been around forever. It's an institution of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I had some older students from Truman who went to it and they really edified by it. And it was performance. It was a performance opportunity. Um, and I got it entirely from knowing people that's that's how you get jobs in theater there's only 21 people in theater uh as long as you know one of them you're fine and that's that's the joke but it's true yeah uh, so i go to kentucky it's the first time i've really lived away from home ever in my life and i live in a dorm and i was a traveling educator performer and i performed in a two-person version of a midsummer night's dream Two people. I, two people, yeah. So I played uh, Lysander, Helena, Bottom, Oberon as a pup. Oberon as a puppet. Sure. Uh, and because it's for kids, yeah. and and like a, a vague narrator character, and um, we tra my my partner and I traveled the state performing for children and doing Shakespeare workshops or just workshops, theater workshops. And I remember we went to some random part of, I want to say Western Kentucky. And they had hired us assuming we would run their summers, their literacy for summer school program. Because I think we had like my, my education director had like rightly pointed out like how we could be attached to like Kentucky reading standards and things like that. But like, we weren't reading instructors. We were there to do acting uh, and sort of text, some text workshop stuff. And we realized that like kids didn't know what didn't know what a play was. 
sure. and no concept of it. And so, despite the fact we weren't booked, my my co my coworker and I, because we had the set in the van, we had to travel the state around, and it's like, well, let's just let's just do the play, and we'll apologize for it later. Um, and so we did, and my boss actually thankfully was very happy about it. Uh, she was like, okay, good, yeah, you all did the right thing. I don't care if we didn't get paid. Like that was great. I'm glad you did it. But there was the moment of like doing that play for that audience of young children and realizing that like I was that child once, me from small town Missouri from lower income family uh, who have had in the past a lot of family just absolutely baffled why like very intelligent Max Glenn is gonna go spend his life doing theater (laughs) Um, what a waste Um, but like just like the the recognition and I saw it in their faces and I saw it in the performance I was like oh there, there is a door that is opened for them, whether they want to go act or just the yeah. world is a little bigger now. Um, and that was very like, oh, this is this was like this was not the I'm on stage, I got drug fixed. This was like something in my uh, my heart <laughs> was like, I'm changing someone's life right now, <laughs> and my life is being like impacted in return because it's like, oh, something I did has had like. A positive you have to mentor anybody is so you get to feel good about yourself yeah like i yeah i feel i feel like it's like oh i felt i felt good like yeah and that because i like school so much and i understand the paradigm of school the my years at ohio state uh, after that like both writing lots of plays um on the side and like working to get them like staged and paid for and what little ways I can from like 2012 to through 2015 to finishing my my master's in theater history and realizing I don't want to be a professor I don't want to deal with the politics I don't want to deal with like the bullshit hoops to does sound like a headache it to even get a job there in that work that line of work um and just sort of like I like acting but it wasn't like the thing that like more and more it was like it's not where i want to have my like put my time because it's such a time investment to be a performer like the amount of time and yourself you have to physically give can be very exciting it's very exciting but it's also like it stops you from doing anything else um picked up your whole bandwidth i get it yeah it's also just like theater is an expensive art form not just financially but time the amount yeah. of the amount of time and the amount of people's time, multiple people's time, yeah. that it takes. Um, and I realized as an actor that like a lot of my time would, I I wouldn't get to say as to when it was being spent. Uh, that makes sense. And I I liked as a playwright because like I I can work on that whenever. Obviously there are times as a playwright you want to be in the room and workshop stuff, but like, um, I got to be in more control and I like that. And I didn't I don't like directing. It's not like I don't mind it. I'll do it if I have to, but I'm not. Yeah. I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy directing. Um, but so like my playwriting life is taking off, but like my theater ed stuff sort of shifted back into focus as I finished my master's in theater history and defended my thesis, passed, and I fin- I'm in Columbus, Ohio, unemployed. Oh no, I'm not unemployed. I'm working at Starbucks. Um, and the old theater director for the Kentucky Shakespeare Festival is now in Cleveland. She's at the Cleveland. Cleveland Playhouse and she won a giant government research grant into how theater and social emotional learning could could be tied together. And Real quick, what social emotional learning? Social emotional learning is basically Mr. Rogers. Um, it is curriculum and instruction designed around like identifying your feelings, cultivating the skills of empathy, um, communicating and articulate your thoughts so like if 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 you are ever in that age of education where like guidance counselors existed and taught yeah. in classrooms uh you are a recipient of what is now called social emotional learning or the state of indiana is now shifted because that word is so charged and thinks it's about like turning children gay uh which you can't do by the way you can't make anyone gay um i'm very confused but okay <laughs> No, yeah, that's that's apparently what people think SEL is. It's like, oh, we're going to turn them into trans gay people. It's like, no, that's not going to 
there. Well, I mean, it would make sense to, and we'll go off on a bit of a tangent here. It would make it. The older I get, the more I understand myself and how I tick. The more I realize how beneficial that education I got of how I am as a person and what makes me do things would have been so much more beneficial if I'd got it 25 years ago. Like, yeah. If someone sat me down and said, hey man, these are all your feelings. Nothing wrong with it. But here's kind of how you express them. Here's a good way to direct them. Maybe kind of put this one off to the side for a minute, but then we'll go over it later. You know, and not uh, sort of like, oh, if you have to cry, go hide in the closet and do it because it's shameful and unmanly behavior. And I'm like, no, it's a release of tension, right? It's it's that that's that's all it is. You know, or you just watch, you know, Captain America dancing with Peggy Carter at the end of Endgame, and then just one single manly tear goes down your face, and your wife looks at you, and she goes, oh my god, he can feel. So Have have you heard Adam Driver talk about this stuff? Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know he, you know he was a, he was a jarhead, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, he has an entire organization about actually bringing, like, arts experiences to current currently serving um, men and women and like and that's important because i i had a similar awakening that you had talked about i was on leave from iraq and my mother brought me to an art museum the indianapolis when before newfields it was the indianapolis art museum and she brought me there (laughs) yeah and she brought me there and i'm walking around and you know when you're a soldier, the freedom of expression and speech is so ingrained in you, but it's one of those things that it's it's revered in the military culture, but it's not kept for the common soldier because you kind of have to do what you're told and shut the fuck up about it. Yeah. And so then I could kind of see all of what I've been hearing about. And it was just like, like you said, your world gets bigger. And, and that's really cool that you got to be that person to do that for those kids, man. Thank you. Yeah. And I can see why that was so intoxicating. Looking at someone's eye and be like, oh, you, you, you see a, their eyes get bigger and the light bulb clicks. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, just just getting to see the world a bit differently and and to, to, to know it's bigger than what you had thought previously, even just by an inch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like that release of tension, I think, is so monumental and important. And I think... Um, I mean, there's a lot of ways that we, we, we as a society have, have done our service people wrong. And I think one of the, one of the ways is, is short changing the amount of thank you and kind of experiences we, we should expect, like we can give them. Yeah. So like, I think that's why the, like, I'm actually a very big fan of what Adam Driver does for, for service people and like bringing plays and things like that. And like, so like you know like great cool dallas cowboy cheerleaders that's cool that's really exciting um like you know sure i i i they're they're really good at what they do uh but also but also it might but also you know like um the original if we're if we're sticking with the western tradition of theater which is not the oldest but it's the oldest recorded in on paper uh all of the original actors were warriors they were service people they were they were people they were military um and so like like and they so like they go hand in hand um but and what's funny is because so much of being in the military was kind of not really a performance you're putting on but like when my specific role is i was sergeant but i was also the medic and so i had several different layers of that i had to keep kind of a level of like a not like aggressive authority but i had to keep a level of confident competence and also if something happened it was like i was on a stage everyone's looking at me and I'm working right and I have to there's a crowd you have to blank out the crowd yeah and you have to do stuff well I mean and also like you like so everyone has a specific like mission that they're expected to do like a role a job and you are working as a team uh, for this this common goal you're working live um, so there is there is no really do-overs there is um, there is in its own way like if we want to get real like you know there's choreo like if we're thinking about people marching around but also there's just the choreography of like uh creating a space and then there's also just like the moments of like when life happens 
how do you as whether it was actors and something screws up how do you vamp and come together to get through it to keep the show moving uh or you as 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 just people like have to like we can't stop like you're you're in you know wherever you're at you're on you're you're on a forward operating base or you're out in the field or wherever like you have to keep moving you have to keep this thing going so whether you people step outside of their jobs at that point to keep the thing moving like I, the amount of the amount of actor the amount of times I as an actor have like stepped out of the boundary of my role to help another actor be like hey let's get this we got to get the show back on the roll because you forgot your line I don't care let's keep going let's go exactly like it's, you have we have to keep going I and and in the civilian world this is less applicable uh, you're kind of in a state of perpetual motion and you're kind of just running as fast as you can and you know and and the thing is if you stop moving right you know you, you get this weird feedback loop you start getting anxious you're like oh things aren't moving on this thing we're supposed to be doing and so that's going to lead to abject failure and so you kind of like you're talking about something doesn't quite work so you have to like be able to turn on a dime right there is a time when we were supposed to go to the national guard base and set up the big uh, uh aid station tent and then work out of there and then we get there and we realize oh no one packed the poles for the tent <laughs> and then we're, I'm like because I'm the guy there and I'm trying to figure out a new solution to it and I'm like oh we can't do this without the poles so we can't do this without the tent I look to my left I'm like oh there is a castle right it's not a big castle but it was like a trainee thing made to look like a, a castle and no one was using it. And I'm like, oh, we're setting up over here. And yeah, we had to clear out the bees, but you know, you get a broom and then, yeah. you know, and, and I didn't clear out the bees because I was directing uh, the what was going on. And also yeah. I didn't have to because I wasn't the least experienced. <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah. But that's got to be similar to a play when you have this thing going and someone realizes, oh, this other guy missed the crucial piece to what we were doing. So we have to tap dance faster before it all falls apart. I, 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 I before, I will jump back to Cleveland eventually, but like my favorite story about this shit is um, junior year of college, we're doing a Thornton Wilder play called The Skin of Our Teeth. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wild fucking play. It's really weird. Um, we're in the middle of swine flu. Our director, um, traditionally in a theater production, like at actual theater production, the theater, the, the play gets mounted, like the play opens. And then at that point, the director's not involved anymore. Like it's, they're, they're done. They did their job. Um, so it, during preview, our director got the swine flu. And then, so she left early. So like, we didn't see her for the, the run of the play. She didn't see our show, um, except at preview. Uh, which is sort of like the last opportunities to change anything. Um, our lead, that's um, a big, it's a long play. And our lead, the, the actor, uh, really talented individual. He's a musician these days. Um, but like something happened in the middle of the second act where like he's slurring and he is just, he is not well. Did and he have a stroke? No, but there was a moment where like, to go to the hospital and so like you know our our college professor adult is not there so it is it's we get through we start getting through act two and so it's the stage manager at that point so the stage manager is basically um i think the joke is that they're the god of the show basically like they're the actual person like they're the one who sit sit with the like They've been with the production the entire time. They keep going with the production after the director stepped away. Their job is to make sure the play happens, like physically happens. They, they're the ones who are over headset, calling out light changes, scenery changes. Uh, they're the ones who buzz down to the actors. Like you have X amount of minutes till places, X amount of minutes till the the, the audience comes in. They're the they're the god of the show. The the show as like an entity, a physical entity, does not happen without the stage manager they are there at that point they're the leader of the production like they're they're one of the they're the person calling the shots um and so uh, 
was Mallory back. I, I can't remember who our stage manager was. I think it might have been Mallory. No, she wasn't back yet. Um, but like we had to figure out what to do. So I was the fight captain. So that means like I helped like oversee some fight choreography and like made sure it got practiced every night safely. Uh, but thankfully, like we had some redundancy built in, but like we had to basically like do shift around a bunch of our cast for the third act. So a person playing one character stepped in for another, another person got shifted over to another. Um, and like we 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 sold it off to the audience really well. Like we didn't even do like a, a house announcement or anything because it's such a weird meta play. But like there's this moment where like this is when I was a smoker and I wish like I wish I could have been smoking downstairs in the acting lab where like where I'm running during the intermission I'm running a fight call which is like the practice of a fight scene with someone who has not done the fight choreography thankfully oh, no. like this no it's fine because the guy's like the guy's a pro and like yeah. he's a he's very very good um and so like and he's stepping into the leads role and like he's an amazing actor uh, and so, like, but, like, we're running, we're just, like, like, having him practice, like, kicking somebody under the, under the ribs, and, like, how to do the punch, and, like, or just, like, thankfully, he knew the basics of fight choreography, so it's not like I have to teach him the skill, it's just, like, hey, this move, this move, this move, and, like, all this, like, we're trying to, like, how much time do we have, I'm just, and then get it up there, and then audience applause, play ended, guy got out of the hospital and was okay was just severely dehydrated for reasons i get it drugs alcohol fun lights i don't know theater i get it it, it Co totally makes sense Col college adults uh making yeah. bad choices um, yeah you know we'd stay out drinking all night and go run in the morning i understand right I but the, the 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 broader point of that whole anecdote is that as much as I I, ha, I I have very mixed feelings about the this phrase now, um, actors in the moment have been trained and conditioned to make the show keep going. You have mixed feelings about that statement? I do. Why? Uh, because the show must go on is a toxic statement, I think, because um, there are many instances where the show does not have to go on. That we can never have to go on. No, like, for the for the for the for the the health and well being of people. Yeah, it does not have to go on. Yeah, I I have I have acted with a with a severely sprained ankle that I sprained in the middle of a production during a preview, <laughs> and I finished the play because the show had to go on. When really I should have been like going to see a PT. Um. Yeah, instead of fur like further that. hurting further hurting myself um it you're is... right there's a lot of crossover between the theater and the army because the army was like that like i felt like in the army like you're supposed to slide down a rope between like two platforms or something and i got there's probably 25 feet between me and a net and i fell all those 25 feet landed on my left ankle went on a ruck march the next day because i'm like oh, i don't want to be a pussy drill sergeant and now, as I rapidly approach 40, uh, guess what hurts more? Uh, my left ankle. Right. Yeah. Um, no, and I think of all the illnesses I have performed with, and I think yeah. of, I think uh, there is a there is a reckoning happening, like, happening in the industry, hopefully, that, like, is evaluating its practices. Like, because it's, 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 it's one thing to, like, as an individual, make that decision for yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, and yeah. I think, but I think as uh, an art form and, an, and as an industry, um, and it's one of the many reasons I'm, I'm not, I don't really don't like being, like, I'm not professionally in theater anymore, is that, like, it's it's predatory and toxic and uh, people are cogs. And it, yeah. if it will tell them to keep, just keep, keep going, keep going. And I think yeah. the COVID-19 pandemic has, where everyone couldn't act in on stage, and then when they started doing plays again and they had to like cancel productions and realize like, so my life was valued. <laughs> yeah. So like, so I, so the show doesn't have to go on necessarily yeah. in, in, in some circumstances. It doesn't have to go. I don't have to go on if I have the flu. I don't have to go like, 
like Michael Jordan did. playing with the flu is like awesome, but like, and that's like a moment, but like he also chose to do it. And I don't know if anyone told him that. I, I don't know. Like, did someone tell him? Like, I think he's crazy. I think he did it on his own volition. Who was it? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's famous game with game like kicked kicked the Utah Jazz's ass while he had oh, the flu. Oh, I'm like Michael Jordan was he in the theater? I thought no, no, no. Just like, but just that 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 tension of like you need to keep going. And really, we don't. We're not about like we don't think about the cost. It, it's something that always bothered me about that sort of mentality was that then you keep going, you doubt like your program to downplay every single thing. Yeah. And then when something really bad happens, people say, "Well, you should have gone to see the doctor. Why didn't you go?" And then I'm like, "There's this whole culture of if you do that, then you're less of a man and a terrible person and a detriment to the group." Right. You weren't like you weren't committed to the health of the the group or the play or the project or whatever because you, yeah. you bowed you bowed out. Um, yeah, yeah, but that was a that's a a, a fun memory of when the show went on. But um, I moved to Cleveland. I go work for Cleveland Playhouse. It's I mean, they always say America's first regional theater, like like because they want to they want to avoid age. They're America's oldest regional theater. They're over a hundred years old. It's awesome. Like own their age. It's great. Yeah. Um, regional theater being for our audiences, um, a, a theater not located in New York City that has a comparable budget um, and qualifications to your major Broadway houses. So, okay. yeah, so like the Indiana Repertory Theater is a regional theater um, because it hires union actors. Uh, it's part of the League of Regional Theaters. Um, so Cleveland Playhouse is a is a is a league of regional theaters, pays its playwrights, has professional artists on staff. Like it, it's not it's not um, a small community. It's not a semi-professional. Like it, it's a professional theater. Everyone's getting paid. Sure. Maybe not much, but everyone's getting paid. Hey, uh, yeah. And so I was doing theater ed for them, and amusingly, that is sort of the work I did at Cleveland Playhouse is sort of where my life in the theater industry begins ending. Why is that? uh, Because I am spending four days a week in a Cleveland metropolitan school uh, delivering and implementing and cultivating and creating this uh, curriculum for research and realizing that and then go to the theater one day a week and while i'm using theater practices like i began to see that like i what i'm doing is teaching like i'm i'm functioning as a school teacher like i am assisting with hallway transitions and things like that and i'm further and further away from rehearsal rooms and artistic conversations and I wasn't upset about it. I wasn't like, like I, I during that time I did have a play stage. I went and got a play staged with a local company. I I acted in a production. Um, but largely, like I was, I, it was a point in my life where like I got married, I had my first child, and I began to sort of shift my thinking about like how do i continue to do this or do can i can i still do this and provide for my family in the way that i want to and the answer was like no because the industry is so centralized in like new york and los angeles and i wasn't there and wasn't intending to go there and even if i stayed in theater ed my life would be uh, scratching and clawing and moving my family for the next job. Like, there's no, there's no upward mobility in a lot of these companies. Yeah, like, you have I, to. You leave. don't want them. It's I, I, and we weren't even theater ed people or you know theatrical whatsoever. I grew up in one of those situations where you moved. Like, yeah. I had. We own a house now. I've had something like 33 addresses my entire life. Something enormous. My wife's had four. And there's just like a, a world of difference in, in the, you know, the, the stories and stuff. 
and to talk more about you choosing to keep your family in one spot instead of moving them around kind of chasing a thing you're less and less interested in uh i know as a the child of some people who did move around a lot you, you end up being really good at making those short-term relationships because you're going to be gone in like six months so why bother you know but then you're like oh why can't i make long-term deep committed relationships oh because you don't really know how right and so you probably made the best of possible choices for your kid i i i i'd like to think i did um cool. i knew something i like we i knew something had to change yeah um even if i stayed in cleveland which is um in my heart actually a place that's still home i love cleveland i only li i've lived in indiana longer now but like cleveland is so spoke to me in so many ways that. uh the mistake by the lake i guess uh it's in my heart um mistake by like that's i've never actually been to cleveland but i get the idea of like like oh this place was really special and i haven't been there in a long time but you think about it fondly i get that yeah um trying to think of like no like it like i, I knew something had to change and whether that meant moving some someplace moving from cleveland to indianapolis or we yeah. initially thought maybe st louis missouri but like that my my light my for now my time in theater was going to end uh and i was going to move to education because i thought like hey education like i'll go be a teacher maybe go be a principal and that's i feel like i've talked about that in my pandemic episode with you <laughs> like that's that's a total other journey and i'm i'm not in the classroom anymore um but I, I i leave i take the leap um out and you know 20 it's now almost 2023 like i don't i don't i don't miss it it's yeah. funny it's 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 the the thing of growing up i theater was a thing i needed like i, yeah. I like i both i think like i was addicted to the endorphin but also like i needed a space to safely explore my feelings and mm -hmm. my body and my emotions and that was the place to do it it's kind of like uh, what they used to call a finishing school yeah no, I, I I needed that finishing school because I was so uh, depressed yeah. and um, undiagnosed for the various mental health illnesses that I have. Sure. And I did, and just at the time, uh, my family was not able to like provide any of those things that I needed, or sure. or, recon or recognize that I needed it. And that's no one's fault. It's just what it was. Um, so theater was like that was like safe it was allowed me to explore these things physically yeah. explore these things and gave me an outlet and taught me how to foster connections again with people um and to work as a team and it gave me all of these sort of tools and things and the fun thing about being an adult and like not that i view myself as an adult necessarily I'm, I'm still i'm scratching at that spot still is recognizing that some there's lots of different ways to get the things you need yeah and so like a life of the imagination and storytelling like i have found other spaces and outlets for it um and it took some time in my transition from Cleveland to Indiana to like find those things again, but I did. And my 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 inner life is more nourished because of it, and I don't have to give up my evenings with my my children to do it. Well, that's the most important thing is the evenings with your kids. Well, yeah, and, yeah. And to because there's there's. I have to imagine, because I, I, as a creative myself, I kind of understand the rat race and you're competing with people and you're trying to get everyone's attention. Um, I know for me, there's a piece of it where I make sure that everything I do is just for me, right? Like, if no one else but me sees, hears, or reads this, uh, I'll be happy just knowing it exists. And if I make a dollar off of it, I'm fucking ecstatic. And, but there's a, to nourish yourself, to find some way to fulfill that longing that you have for the creative outlet 
without going through the sort of you know the the commercial route where every where it becomes toxic becomes abusive becomes more about the money than filling that spot if you can if you can fill that piece of your soul simple with just like playing tabletop games and playing them with your kids maybe when they're older of course then i mean that sounds like you're winning at life i'm doing all right i know i'm and you know like i think that's just a matter of where my priorities are because i think there are lots of people who are still in the field who who have some different approaches and and nuances yeah. to how they navigate that um a, a man i deeply admire is a playwright still and writes for all sorts of stuff but like he he was a dad but also a writer and continued to be part like that that wasn't whereas it was antagonistic for me to have them it was not antagonistic for him and that's 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 a him thing that's not a me thing yeah. like this is just where like my life and skill set and where i'm at and what where my like marketable skills are and where i'm at as a professional um i think you you pursue what you really want because and there's what in your head you're telling yourself you want and then there's because i know i look back at i i've been an internet content person for almost a decade now and i look back and i think oh you know i could have done this or i could have grown more in these areas but then i think oh but what did i spend all my focus doing oh you wanted to be middle class with a really stable job a beautiful wife owning a house with the retirement plan you got all of those things and more and you still have this like amazing thing you do on the side when you have this job of yours and so i realized recently kind of like what you're saying like oh that's what i really want was just the american dream life and because you could have uprooted your kids and you could have chased theater for a decade and maybe you would have broke maybe you wouldn't you know i could have spent all this time just devoting everything to just creating content maybe i would have done something big maybe i would just be like in a homeless shelter right but I mean, that's the that, and that's the funny thing is that I don't, I don't always necessarily think that I I've, I've chased what I've wanted, because sure. uh, because of how my brain works and how my okay. mental health issues manifest. Because I have often made choices that are not the things I want because I know it is the healthier thing for me to do. I've wanted to uproot my family and go. I've wanted to go live in a hovel. I've wanted to go back to graduate school and get my MFA in playwriting in the past. Like I wanted to do that. I wanted that do or die um but i'm also luckily uh <laughs> surrounded by a beautiful partner and who says no max no um, <laughs> and but also um yeah like just that i may want that but um yeah no that it's just not the not, it, it, it's just not they're, they're, the consequences are not things I want like the con, like pursuing that like I, I may want that but the, the consequences yeah. of pursuing that and what I will have to sacrifice is not is not is, is, is not things I'm willing to sacrifice well cause yeah it's not about you anymore like right no it's not I want to be sometimes but it's not well I don't we all but it's you look back and like I remember when I was single in college, I, I spent a summer in between semesters uh, broke and uh, just writing at the local pub right across the street from my apartment. Right. I would get like a world stick from Amazon for like seven dollars and then go and buy a dollar fifty beer and then just sit there and drink beer and write. And that was cool. And I got to live for a summer in that starving artist lifestyle where you're really 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 broke living in a sketchy neighborhood just being an artist right which was great uh i really enjoy having money and uh having stability even more you know and because it's not about me and like i I'm, don't have any kids yet but i would imagine the more sort of traditional responsibilities you put on your plate the more you're like oh well it doesn't really 
it matters what you want, but you have to filter that through the prism of your responsibilities. Yeah, no, no. It's it's. It, I mean, you should. Yeah. Not ever. Not everyone does. Like. Let's, not everyone let's, does. Let's 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 be clear. We're making a lot of assumptions about how people are supposed to act based on some societal expectations. Um, I, I've used a lot of good faith statements. You are making a ton of good faith statements. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. No. I mean, like, no. There's a whole decision making tree now that has that happens in my brain. Um, yeah, I would I would love to introduce you to my little brother because I might have talked to you about him before. He sort of thinks and speaks and cling on proverbs about honor and duty and, you know, sacrifice. And, yes. you know, and me and him had conversations once while drinking. We came to the conclusion that, you know, uh, uh, being a man, which, you know, we kind of grew up in the real sort of like traditional manhood was important men provided men protected sort of uh, culture and then we came up i i i finally got him to a place where we said hey so to be a good husband slash father doesn't necessarily mean sacrificing yourself to the point of self-extinction right which should kind of be self-evident but honestly for me and him took us a long fucking time to get there like uh, I remember talking to him and I'm like because he's like I have to do a thing this weekend and I'm like or could you skip that thing and maybe like stay home and not he's like yeah I could and I said I know you're used to people relying on you and they're used to relying on you and being there whenever there's anything and if you break that equation then you feel like you failed them which you haven't sometimes you kind of have to in the other end of the self-sacrifice is tell people no to kind of protect your own sort of like reserves of energy and you know bandwidth so you could better serve them later right because if you burn yourself out you're no good to anybody so and it's even hard for me because sometimes when you know people I love want something and I do the math and I'm like, well, there's no way I can do that fun thing and then do all of my other responsibilities without my brain exploding. So I have to sacrifice the fun thing because otherwise the game stops moving and the perpetual motion machine doesn't work. And that level of perpetual motion, it's, it's strange. I can like turn off my brain and I just black out and I spend three hours cleaning the house and reorganizing everything don't ask me where stuff went i couldn't tell you but by god it looks amazing uh i've come to find that's not what everyone does so i have to kind of tone it down a little bit because otherwise it's overwhelming uh and i become like a chaotic tornado i empathize with that yeah i am i often feel like i am on fire on the on the inside yeah so I, I you have the... to keep moving otherwise the demons will get yeah yeah no like yeah no i i that i reckon with all of that um the pandemic has been a very good teacher oh my god for for me in regards to what you were discussing and our mutual friend because uh i mean in my own home i'm willing to you know I, I'll still do the fun thing, and, and it, I'll pay the price for the lack of sleep. Um, yeah. I'm trying to get better at that, but um, it's I think it's called uh, bedtime revenge procrastination. Yeah. Uh, but oh God, where is that going with this? No, the pandemic like just taught me how little certain things mattered to me, um, and the cost of being relied on, and that at a certain point it's just not it was not worth it of being relied on yeah or just like at who 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 relies on who relies on me and what's the cost of pouring myself out there and And when i decide i don't want to yeah yeah. because it doesn't have to be a hundred percent reciprocal but there has to be some sort of like give and take a little bit. Like I've, there are many family members I don't speak to anymore where 
I would just pour everything out into it and then um, you know and and not a whole lot in return wouldn't take much maybe just like a phone call you know like and no and then when things got rough when you know the sky fell and the world closed and things were hard um, you know it's it, it, it fell apart real fast and then you kind of realize oh you know I was already kind of backing away a little bit by that point but you realize oh that was kind of all for nothing in a lot of ways and it, it, and it was a teacher it was a teachable moment where it says just just because someone's family doesn't mean you owe them everything and, and they have to come to the party with something and you have to be very, very, very careful. Like you've got, a, you know, a wife and a bunch of kids and stuff. So you already know who your people are and anything extra is fine, but the bulk of who you are is reserved for them. And, but that that's hard to kind of get to. And it's hard to kind of wrap your head around that. Right? Cause you wanna, I wanted to hold the whole world on my shoulders because I knew I could. Right in my head, I knew I could. Like, oh, I could right. just put one more thing on. I clearly couldn't because no. you know, I, you know, like, I grinded away five teeth during the pandemic. I got to know my dentist in a really intimate way. <laughs> like, I was in my mouth all the time, and um, and it, it took that for me to kind of step back and reprioritize and. And, and there has to be a level of return on investment. You know, that, that sounds a little transactional and crass, but like if I would if I would interact with somebody and then every interaction would make me feel like a big piece of shit and I would be mad at them, they'd be, you know, and, but then you think, why am I putting all this effort into something that's causing me nothing but grief and taking away all my thought from any of my responsibilities, you know? I mean, maybe it's transactional. I think it's just it's just healthy and respect, right? Like, I mean, you yeah. can't like why why keep a cobra if it's gonna keep poisoning you? Exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I mean, to 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 try and shift it away from just like because I understand that transactional feeling. I get it. Yeah. Um. And there's a the magical part of my brain that can, that can ice people out super quickly and compartmentalize them and make them disappear. It's really great. I love it. And then by yeah. I love it, I mean I don't. But it is but there. Like, it, that's that's an important de, you know defense mechanism. I was speaking to a friend of mine who his wife's family was kind of toxic, and then he's like, "Yeah, but my wife can't just like cut out people like I can." I'm like, I get that. You could just, just be like, well, nope, you are behind the firewall and you, you know, you're no longer part of my circle. And I think that's important. I wouldn't shortchange the ability to ice people out because you have to. No, no, no. Like, I, th I think there's, there, there's a time and place for it, but sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's getting good about making, making that when to deploy that. Cause sometimes it's just like you, you disagree at one spot and then they're gone. And maybe that yeah. spot isn't, maybe that spot actually isn't that important, but my brain has decided, but yeah, no, I think, especially for thinking beyond paradigms of nuclear families and things like that. And for all sorts of different kinds of like, no, like if there is someone who your relationship with in, in, in whatever that is, is, is not, is poisonous to you then like something has to change about the relationship right like and if it's the nature of the relationship then that has to change or if it's like the way they engage with you like there's only so much you can do to affect that and attempt to like change that um i began to have a very poisonous relationship with my job i left it yeah. um it it I, I i will happily discuss the details off off voice of how how badly it destroyed me um I'm sure your wife got some hint of it, but like you, you said on the pandemic perspective episode that you were doing the job of three people for them. Yes. And I get that. Yeah. I, but even now I'm beginning to, as I am now in a new position and, uh, 
the decisions I can make now in my life because I, I'm not doing that. And I didn't realize like, oh, how, this is how like bad it really was on the inside for me. Yeah. Um, and like, but I had to like, there was no way that my job was going to, I don't think there was any way, like I had to leave. Like there, 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 I had to like, I can't, I can't be next to this Cobra anymore. There is, there is no gate. Like I have to, I have to leave this garden entirely. <laughs> like, exactly. like no, no hard feelings. Like, um, I'm going to go get my, my health straight. And that's how I ended up in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're way off rails at this point. Oh, I, 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 I know, I know. Oh man, um, yeah. I think, I think we'll end there for the Derwin Last Show. I am Derwin. I'm Max, and I will see you next Monday morning at zero seven hundred. <laughs>